Upworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. Hello, everybody. It's Upworthy Weekly, and I'm Todd Perry, a staff writer here at Upworthy. And with me is the great Allison Rosen. Allison is the host of the super popular podcast, Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, and Childish with her co-host, comedian Greg Fitzsimmons. You've also heard her on The Adam Carolla Show, which she co-hosted for four years, and seen her on Comedy Central's At Midnight. On the show today, we're going to review some of Upworthy's most popular and engaging stories for the week of December 13th to the 17th. And before we get into that, uh, I'm a little nervous about today's show, Allison. Is it because you don't know how I'm going to react to the nickname that you gave yourself last week, the King of Good News? Well, I think so far, I think that's starting to, I think it's starting to stick with people. I think, (laughs) I think it's starting to to grow on people because again, I've, I'm the self-proclaimed King of Good News for an obvious reason. I've been one of the most popular writers at Upworthy uh, for the last six years. And uh, there are other popular writers, a gal named uh, Annie and Heather, Mm -hmm. and they're female. Therefore, they'd be the queen and princess of good news. It would make me the king because I'm male. Mm -hmm. And the thing is... Right, it's ordained. By God. Yeah, it is is ordained by God. It's just I'm just fulfilling some kind of prophecy. And so the thing is, though, I'm not saying that being king is better than queen, because look at England right now. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, I watch the crown. I know. Yeah. The matriarch in charge is the queen. Right. Right. And the other guys, I don't see my my knowledge breaks down after that because I'm like, well, isn't that guy Philip or whatever? Isn't he the king? But he's not. He's like the king elect. No, or... he's not. But also he's dead. But when he oh. when he was alive, he also wasn't king. I feel like he's called the prince consort or something. We could be wrong. If there's any he was U- called that. If there's any UK people here listening, don't email us about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> um, you know what? He was called Prince Philip. So that is what he was called. Then I th- then I think like isn't it lame for a queen to be married to a prince? Wouldn't she want to be married to a like a king? Well, you'd think. Isn't there a power you? imbalance going on in the royal family? There do you I, Okay, so what I'm hearing loud and clear is that you don't watch The Crown, do you? I watched the first season, and I liked it. There, There's a real power imbalance. That's a theme that ripples through that show. Okay, great. So I'm on to something here. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, I'm like... But it's not going to affect you because according to you, you are the king. Correct. Yeah, there's not going to be... I'm, I'm not going to be demoted. I'm not going to call myself the prince consort or anything like right. that. Or, you know... Because that just, that just doesn't fly. Like, there's no catch to it. There's no ring. Like, no one's going to announce me on The Tonight Show and be like, the prince consort of good news, Todd Perry. And they play like, No, but I love that what you're supposing is they are going to announce you, the king of good news, Todd Perry, on late night. Yes. It's, it could happen. So but, it's going to happen. This podcast is going to take over the world. We were featured. We are still featured as I speak. We're featured in new and noteworthy on Apple podcasts. And so today, new and noteworthy tomorrow, our late night debut. That's right. Us. And I'll let Jimmy Fallon tussle my hair, you know? Yeah. Uh, but wait, I have a, sorry. I have a question uh, because all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. Who's looking out for number one? That's me. To me, I'm number one. To me. Yeah. Because you're the king, Annie's the queen, Heather's the princess. 
What? Oh, I'm remembering now. I'm the Duchess of Discontent. Yes, that's you. Okay. At least I have a title, too. So you're going to show up wearing all black, <laughs> right? Yes, I can do that. But a I royal. Like, like a grieving royal. Like you just mm. lost the Dutch. Or what is whoever the Duchess is married to. The, the Duke. Y- you lost your Duke. <laughs> and then you're walking in there and you're you're looking very sad yeah. and you're you're in a veil, you know? Yes. And I'm like in a white suit, maybe like maybe something with a big yellow tie, you know, and I'm like, Hey everybody, how's it going? And then you're just like following behind me or maybe in front of me. Maybe in front of me. I'm picturing like that bur- the Burger King guy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that I- what you think you might look like? Fine. I'm okay with that. (laughs) I was thinking something a little bit more, you know, like King Ralph. Yeah, like big robes, big robes. Like like the king looks on a deck of playing cards. That's the king I have in my vision. Okay. It still is the Burger King king to me, but I get what you're saying. But that's not why I'm nervous, Allison. Oh, all right. We had a meeting at Upworthy, like an all-hands-on-deck, the entire company meeting the other day. Just kind of an end-of-the-year thing. And it was great. It was a wonderful meeting. But what happened was, at this meeting, when the um, social media manager was speaking, she noted that we have some very, very famous followers on the Instagram page. Ooh. So The Rock is now following us on Instagram. Dwayne The Rock Johnson? That Rock? Yes, and then I thought to myself, did he self-apply the rock, or did someone else deem him the rock? That's what I want to know. That's a whole other discussion. No, it's actually the very discussion we were having recently, since you gave yourself this nickname. Yeah, and I think it's I fine. I understand. I think it's fine if he looked in the mirror one day and he's like, you the rock. You know? <laughs> of course you do. Of course you have a vested interest in seeing this as a common, normal thing one does. And also following us on Instagram <laughs> is Chris Rock. So now oh. I'm thinking like, what if Chris Rock is listening to this show and yeah. he's like, oh, my God, those jokes are so corny that I'm going to feel terrible. And I hope right. if, if Chris Rock is listening and he thinks that, please don't let me know. You know, no, because do like our UK followers and don't let us know anything. Right. <laughs> you know, I know you're joking in a way that Chris Rock won't think is funny. But we do want to hear from you. Okay. Let us know what you think, especially if it's positive. But either way, throw out that email address that I'm blanking on. Yeah, UpworthyWeekly at Upworthy.com. Yes. We want to hear what you have to think. Or, you know, you could slide into our DMs, you know. Sure. So, Allison. Well, oh. I just want to know who else. Well, I know Kristen Bell. I know Kristen Bell does. And I think uh, Jennifer Garner from the Capital One ads, I think she follows us. Uh, I know, as as I've said before on a portion of the show I edited out, Heidi Gardner (laughs) follows us uh, from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a bunch of people. Everyone. I love it. I assume that they're all listening. And I think they would be thrilled to know that Upworthy has a special take on the fact that Billie Eilish was recently on Howard Stern. Uh, I don't know if you caught this interview, but she said that she used to watch a lot of porn when she was younger. And if you're me, a thousand years old, you're thinking when you were younger, but you are so young now. Yeah. But she started watching porn at 11. Isn't that crazy? 
Um, and she says that it destroyed her brain. Uh, she thinks porn is a disgrace. She said that she used to frequently watch violent porn. Oh. And the first few times she had sex, she didn't say no to things that were, quote, not good because she thought that's what she was supposed to find attractive. Um, and, you know, porn can give kids unrealistic portrayals of what sex is like as well and unrealistic ideas of what people's bodies should look like. So Billie Eilish said, I'm so angry that porn is so loved and I'm so angry at myself for thinking that it was okay. But, and this is one of the, this is one of the reasons that I think everyone loves Upworthy. Upworthy has like a very, a very positive take on all this. Um, So Annie Renault wrote a piece about this with the headline, Billie Eilish opening up about porn use at 11 offers a prime opportunity for parents. This ran on Thursday. And her take is that this, is really a great opportunity for parents to have these tough discussions with their kids because studies show that children are watching porn or exposed to porn younger and younger. And so if parents aren't quite sure how to have or how to you know open up these tough discussions with their kids, they could say something like, hey, you know, the singer Billie Eilish, here's what she says about her experiences with porn. Uh, and then sort of get a sense of what they're learning from their peers, etc. And... <laughs> Before I was a parent, I definitely had judgments about how my my own parents had handled a lot of things, and I felt like I'm going to do it so differently when I'm a parent. I'm going to be perfect about all the blah, blah, blah. And now I find uh, it is challenging figuring out how to have these discussions. And just this morning, like 40 minutes ago, uh, my son saw some pictures of Daniel and me um, when we had been in France, and no, 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 no. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry. I, I was, like, I was like, how do I turn off the the the, the thing? How do I? I'm, look, it's it's great. I I really appreciate you sharing. You give all, Allison, but you know, no, keep, no, no. Keep it's the Polaroids. Keep the Polaroids. It's not what you think. It was just pictures of us when we were in Paris. Okay, and and Elliot said. You were pregnant there, right? He's almost five. And I said, no, um, that was a little bit before I got pregnant. And then he said, where are babies before you're pregnant with them? Mm. So he's starting to, he hasn't really asked questions like this yet. And so I said, well, you know, they don't exist yet, but the mommy has an egg and the, you know, and I kind of explained it in very, uh, simple clinical terms, and he seemed to accept that. So I'm writing this down. The mommy has an egg. Mommy Is has an egg. Okay. And the uh-huh. daddy has a sperm. Uh, and okay. when they come to, and it's like, which is like a seed, and when they come together, a baby starts growing. Okay. That's Th- my understanding of it. I think so. I mean, I I go back to the old idea of the homunculus uh, from Roman times. Oh, but so I, there is like a tiny baby seed. Yes. So... You're starting to field these questions. Yes. And what would you do now that you have two young boys? At the, this will obviously change in your life when they get older and you kind of know them better as people or who they kind of mm-hmm. grow into be as teens. But what would your take be if you have to have the porn conversation with your kid? Because you're going to have to have it. Or or your husband, you know, if the <sighs> anvil, you know, but... <laughs> Oh, oh! you mean he'll have to have it as opposed to I'll have to have it with him? Yeah. I will have to have the porn conversation with my husband. <laughs> um, I, so full disclosure, and I'm not just saying this, 
I am very naive when it comes to porn. Like, of course, I've seen some in my life. Um, I think that it's important for kids to understand, except in a way, I'm thinking like at, at, at such a young age, how can they understand exactly? But I still think it's an important conversation to have to explain that what you may have seen is not how it is necessarily in real life. And that especially with the popularity of more of violent porn or aggressive porn or things like that, where it's like, those are, those are very advanced moves. This is not your garden variety intimacy. Yeah. And what I wonder about, and I think Billie Eilish hits on this here is that we're having lots of discussions as a culture of recent about things like women's rights and equality Mm -hmm. and all of this, but it seems like porn we kind of put it to the side and porn is still doing what porn has always been doing, you know, but yeah. obviously in every shade of the porn rainbow, because there's, you know, people have so much access to it and there's probably so much more available. And it's a weird thing that people aren't talking about that because I guess to talk about that, maybe you'd seem prudish and somebody in the public eye, someone that on some level is selling their sexiness. Uh, mm-hmm. that saying bad things about pornography might, you know, make make them approved, which they don't want to be seen as. Right? right, like they want to be seen as more libertine. Yeah, it's interesting. I a, a young position I took. Uh, back oh, when I was oh, like, oh, oh, no, 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 what's it? Oh, jeez, <laughs> come on! I don't want to get an email. Okay, <laughs> sorry. I remember. In college, uh, feeling that sex work and porn and all of that should be fine and should be legalized and there's no problem with it and it's not exploitative. I mean, this was just, like I said, a position I took, not how you're interpreting it, just a, a position I took because I was trying on different ways of thinking. Yeah. And then I remember I had a class, Introduction to Women's Studies, and they were talking about how porn and sex work can be exploitative. And I was like, what? This this you know this is counter to what i think i believe i i don't know at this point i actually do believe it should be legalized and i also see that it can be exploitative um i mean porn is legal obviously but i mean like sex work okay so uh dr michael flood of queensland university of technology shared research on the negative impact of porn use on young people including shifting sexual interests, behaviors, and expectations, which can impact relationships, lowering men's relationship satisfaction, and leading to coercion in sexual acts. It's horrifying. Teaching yeah. sexist and sexually objectifying understandings of gender and sexuality and increased violent behavior, sexually aggressive behavior, and sexual harassment, especially from men toward women. I mean, and what I've heard is it kind of lowers your threshold for patience. You know what? I, I'm going to, I'm going to start that sentence again. It all, all of technology right now gives us instant gratification and makes yeah. us expect instant gratification. So I think that maybe real, if, if you're watching porn all the time at a young age, real life is not quite going to measure up. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, you're seeing really extreme things and things that have an extreme biological change in your brain. 
you know, your, mm-hmm. your, your brain is shooting out all these, you know, crazy hormones and endorphins and everything. And it's a really intense thing. And I can only imagine somebody 11 years old seeing all that, that you know, you know, that that's going to really mess with your internal wiring. You know, right. it's, it's like when someone is abused at a young age, it, you know, it screws up your internal wiring. Um, it, it's a lot different than when I was a kid and it was like, the best you had was like the bra section in the Sears catalog, you know, <laughs> that was as intense as things got. But now people can see, see everything. Well, you have a son. Have you thought about having, when you're going to have these conversations? Uh, I feel like probably when he's around 12 or so, mm-hmm. I think, you know, when, when people start realizing, oh, I find people attractive in that way. I'm having funny feelings. And I just thought with that is I'd explain to them that this is not realistic. You know, these people are professionals and they're the equipment that they're working with is not standard issue. <laughs> And the, the way that people are behaving in these videos is not, in many cases, I mean, obviously, it depends on what what the kid ends up coming across and watching. But I, I think that they need to know that, you know, that kind of aggressive stuff that they show mm-hmm. in these films is not, not the way most people want to be treated, regardless of gender or, or whatever. And that this is all fantasy and it's not real. Um, Mm -hmm. See, I think, and this is the kind of thing where keeping those lines of communication, keeping things shame free with your kids is important because hopefully they will feel comfortable having these, you know, telling you what they, what they came across. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) That's going to be a day. I know. On to something a little different. Actor Tom Holland and Zendaya share how ridiculous height stereotypes are for straight couples. And this is by Heather Wake. The princess of good news. That's right. For the record, Holland is reported to be five foot eight. And by the way, they're dating and they're also co-stars in the new uh, Spider-Man movie. Yes. For the record, Holland is reported to be five foot eight. And Zendaya, on the other hand, is five foot ten. And for some reason, that height difference causes quite a commotion for fans. So much that both Holland and Zendaya ended up addressing the, quote, issue while promoting Spider-Man No Way Home on Sirius XM. Uh, The host of the show, Jessica Shaw, mentioned that in the previous movie, Peter Parker and MJ share an on-screen kiss, and no efforts were made to cheat the fact that Zendaya was a couple inches taller than her co-star. Shaw pivoted the conversation, saying that the public reaction indicates something much more misogynistic and problematic. The expectation that men should always be taller than women in straight relationships. Anything else just isn't normal. And uh, Holland said it's a stupid assumption. um, And that he praised the director, John Watts, who made the movie, um, for showing that there was a height discrepancy before the two of them. And he said that it's a great way to get rid of the stereotype around this and this popped out to me when I was looking for stories to cover because uh, one thing that never gets talked about is men who are shorter than average have a really hard time when it comes to the dating world and in many ways on apps like tinder or whatever women will write in their thing like no you know no guys under six foot or no guys under five ten and they're they there's an outward 
discrimination against shorter men in these spaces. And I had a friend who was like five, six, nicest guy, you know, uh, but he had a, a hell of a time finding dates bec- just because of his height. There was no way around it. Uh, no matter how wonderful he was, um, he was going to have a hard time. And then also there's a stereotype against tall women. They have a hard time, too, because men don't want to have a woman towering over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a it's a tough one, but it's one that people don't really talk about. And I think a lot of men are really hurt by that. And I think a lot of women don't want to stand out who are too tall. Yeah, I have a friend who is 5'10", and she was saying, you don't know what it's like. And I was thinking, you are tall and willowy, have an amazing body, look great in all clothes, so cry me a river. But I did actually take in what she was saying, that it's a whole thing. Like, men see you a certain way, they don't like it, they feel like you're trying to, to tower over them, or that you are more powerful than it's a, it's a whole thing. So I get that. Um, about Tom Holland and Zendaya before I knew there was only two inches between them. I guessed from the hubbub and also from the pictures that it would have been more like five or six. Isn't that what you thought too? Yeah, I thought so. I think that they probably make Zendaya seem shorter and probably make Holland seem taller. You know, mm-hmm. the way, the way they list them professionally. You know, he might be in riser. Oh, shoes. you're saying he might he might actually be like five six, and she might actually be like six five. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. seven eight. I don't know. Yeah, in pictures, it looks like more than two inches. Um, I have dated guys who uh who were short, and I didn't have a problem with it. But that's because I am enlightened and involved, evolved and oh, yes. involved. <laughs> You know, I once went to a school dance when I was a junior in high school. And the gal I went with at the time, she was 6'1", and I was 5'10". I'm 6'1 now, by the way. That's, Sorry. That's, that's how weird guys – Yeah, I have to, like, hey, I'm not 5'10 anymore. I'm, you know. But – because yeah. height is very important to men, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but – and so she was three inches taller than me. And when we went to take our photo, they made me stand on a stool. Oh, God. And so I could be just like a little bit taller than her. So they pulled out the stool and people were walking by like kids I went to school with and they were pointing and laughing. So the photo is of me like laughing. And meanwhile, I've got this statuesque, beautiful woman with me. And sadly, we were just we were going as friends. We're going. I'm not saying Todd was dating a model. No, she's like, come here, goofy, you know, come. (laughs) And I'm sitting there looking goofy and I just had my head shaved by my friends as a joke and I'm sitting with this girl that would end up being a model and everybody just pointed and laughed because I had to sit on the riser and that was like that's exactly what the stereotype is mm-hmm. uh, is people pointing and laughing and the fact that whenever your willowy friend walks into a bar every guy's head turns and says yeah. to his buddy oh my god how tall is she and then I'm sure <laughs> guys who have had a couple drinks go how tall are, are you you know mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, that, I think they make comments yeah Oh, they have to make because people make comments. People are terrible. How's the weather up there? Oh yeah, yeah. Here, I'm trying to buy you a drink, but I can't get it up there. You know. <laughs> okay, so uh, here are this one is very fun. Twenty five instances where people quit their jobs with up absolute style. This is by Jissa Joseph, and it ran on Monday. But first, before I get into it, these, so these are our situations 
where uh, people, instead of just quitting in the uh, dignified, professional, regular way, they went out with some flair. So there's a situation where someone worked at a, at a, it was either a restaurant or a coffee house, and on the chalkboard outside on the sidewalk where normally they'd write the specials, they wrote, Culina, that's the name of the establishment, does not deserve me. I quit. To all my regulars, I will miss you. Quote, just a server, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's one that I like. This was a, a, a written resignation. To whom it may concern, I hereby resign from my position as e-commerce manager. Please accept my, and then they taped a little mini Twix bar and then wrote notice. So please accept my Twix notice. Like two weeks. That's cute. That's cute. cute. I can dig that. Uh, and then one person, so it was a drive through and on the drive through speaker, they, they taped a sign that said, we are closed because I am quitting and I hate this job. <laughs> so I, many of these, I don't know if I'd say they're like, they quit with flair and style as much as like they quit with hatred, right. <laughs> hatred of the job. Um, oh, here's one that's fun. Someone sent cookies to their boss that said, sorry for their, for, sorry for your loss. It's me. I quit. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that is oh, awesome. Here's another another one where the person clearly had a little resentment. They quit and then they sent breakfast and it was six donuts, each with a bite out of them. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. And then here's another one. I think we can all, even though most of us wouldn't do this, think we could all relate to this. Someone uh, quit their job of eight years by leaving something on their boss's desk, and it was a book called The Survival Guide for Working with Bad Bosses, oh, and a geez. note that says, I quit. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's that's are, getting your power is, back. Those are 25 sick burns is what they are. You know, I think there's no greater feeling of having a bit of swag in your step than that day when you're walking in to say that you're leaving a job. Yes. You know, and then the two weeks after, should you stay, uh, just walking around, being a short timer, you know, right. you're a little bit loose. Like, what, what are you going to fire me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know. You know, that's a great thing. I once worked with this guy uh, back when I worked at J-Date. I won't say the guy's name, but he's a reference point with many friends that I, I always bring up because... He he quit in style because he gave his two weeks and then he had some other project he was working on and he just openly worked on that the whole time on his computer. Oh, like wow. he was building another website, basically just getting paid by the company to do his own project. And I was like, that's bold. Good for yeah. him. The, the idea of the two weeks notice is that you're giving them time to find someone to replace you and you're giving them time to wrap up everything, right? To sort yeah. of transfer your work to other people and to potentially train someone new. It is interesting, though, because it's really like dead man walking for, for those two weeks. I, I need to look up whether I'm using that phrase correctly. Because you're, really, you're a zombie. Like, you're checked out. Yeah. You, yeah, and you're you just walking care. around, sitting down in somebody's office, shit, you know? <laughs> right. That's what I remember when I was, when I was working at KLSX and I uh, put in my two weeks and... Uh, um, and one of the guys, one of the, one of my like managers or whatever, they would just be like, short timer, and like yell at me across the hallway, and I wave, yeah, bye everybody. <laughs> Twenty people reveal the movies that genuinely made them cry, mm. and this is by Jisha Joseph. 
I'm welling up just thinking about this topic. Because at Upworthy, we talk about our emotions. I love that. Yeah. Recently, members of the r slash ask Reddit community on Reddit uh, revealed the movies that have left them sobbing. And there's one that was mentioned more than anything, and that's Up. Mm. And the beginning scene where you have the Ed Asner character and you see his whole life that he spent with his wife and they do the whole thing. That that killed me the first time I watched it, too. It's almost like it's such a gut punch at the beginning of the movie and you're welled up that the rest of the movie is just like, I'm already spent. You already, you know, <laughs> I've got nothing else for you, you know? Yes. Um, that was one. Another one was in The Green Mile when Michael Clark Duncan's character gets put in the electric chair and they put the, oh God. <laughs> and they, they put the blindfold over him and he says he's afraid of the dark. And you oh have God, this. I haven't, I haven't seen this movie, but just hearing about it is making, is, is, is hurt. It hurts. Oh God. And you know, I saw that guy once in a coffee shop uh, that was in a building I used to work in. And that guy looks big in the movies in real life. This dude, it was like, it was amazing he could fit in the chair in the coffee shop. It was like, huge. just, wow. Okay, so spoiler alert, obviously, but is he innocent? What's the what, what's the deal with the Green Mile? You know, it's been a long time since I saw it, but it was like he was a supernatural being Oh, that like healed people, but also was accidentally murdered someone. Th- oh. This, I believe, it's been a while since I saw it. Almost because the movies, it's just too moving yeah you know that you're like oh my god this is gonna break my heart every time i watch it um and then like tom hanks who was like has to be involved in killing him holds his hand oh god oh yeah it's no thank you and also another stephen king uh story that was in a movie at the same time in the shawshank redemption when the old guy who gets out of jail and then he goes back in trying to relate to everyday life and he talks about how fast things have become since he was imprisoned and institutionalized and he just can't make his way uh, in life after being in jail. That Some people said that was a big scene that had them. Another one is, oh. Uh, and you're, you're exactly the same age as me, so I'm sure maybe you were emotionally traumatized by this, but was uh, The Fox and the Hound by Disney. I don't, this is another one. I know the story, but I don't think I ever saw it. I thought you were going to say E.T., but um, I know the story of the Fox and the Hound, and just the story is devastating. Oh, yeah, and for those who haven't watched it, I watched it recently with my son, and it totally got me, and there's a song, You're the best of friends, having so much fun. Oh, and it's basically about a, you know, two animals that are mortal enemies, a a hunting dog and a fox, and they're raised together, and at a certain point, they can't be friends anymore. Ugh. Copper and Todd. And at a certain point, they have to almost face off against each other, even though they're friends, because it's just the natural way of nature. <laughs> and yes. And so There's a movie that I always associate in my mind, and it's, a, it's like called, I think it was based on a book. It's going to be frustrating because I don't know the name. It's like, Two girls in Vienna, school girls in Vienna, sisters in, it might be sisters in Vienna, and it's about a young Jewish girl and a young uh, Viennese girl at like the start of World War II, and who are best friends at the start of World War II, and then they can't be friends anymore. In my mind, that's like the, 
the analog to Fox and the Hound. Oh, awful. Well, well speaking of that, uh, uh, a lot of people wrote down Jojo Rabbit. If you saw that movie, oh, I didn't see it. Oh, oh I love Is it that good? movie. Oh, I that's I, Taika Waititi, right? Yes, there's a scene that I won't spoil it, but there's a scene that anybody listening with the shoes, the scene with these shoes, um, is is a gut punch that comes out of nowhere in the movie, and it's very moving. And uh, now thinking about it, and then also I will add at the end of the movie they play the song "Heroes" by David Bowie, and it's in German, and. They they play the German version with Bowie recorded it in Germany, knowing the history of it. It means something even more. And you know the songs about the Berlin Wall, and it's not about being a hero. Like I don't know, every dumb cover of it is. <laughs> it's a kind of an anti-hero song, you know. Um, and when they play that at the end, that just sends chills up my spine with mm. with that. So yes, your homework over this Jojo uh, Rabbit. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit's an amazing. Film. Is it? But it's not a tragic movie right it's like a dark is it a dark comedy what is it yeah it's kind of a dark comedy about a hitler youth if i mean here's the thing when you set that up and pay it off you got to be really good (laughs) yeah in lesser hands that movie could have been a disaster and a moral disaster you know can i tell you the movie that i suspect might not be on that list but that i was not just crying i was bawling i was blubbering i was keening sisterhood of the traveling pants i i'm gonna guess you haven't seen it have you seen it i have not it's 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 not on my netflix um drink a lot of water ahead of time if you're gonna see it because it maybe it was just me i don't know something sad happens at a certain point and i was just like oh (laughs) i've never cried that hard in a movie it was like an embarrassing level of tears so something happens to the pants <laughs> they, <laughs> they bust a seam. Oh, yeah. God. And the thing is, at this point, you love these pants. You love the pants. <laughs> it's like those Jordache jeans you had in 1988. Yeah. You love just... that with the embroidery on the butt. And then suddenly someone like snags the thread and then it pulls out. And then it's just like, can they fix them? I once had a pair of guest jeans that I bought when I was a seventh grader. And I was very happy to have them. And I wore them to my friend's house. And this is one of the most embarrassing moments ever. I went I went to the house. And I sat down. I was showing off my new guest jeans. And I showed my buddy. I went down to the ankle. And I pulled up the zipper on the ankle. And I go, look, they got zippers on the ankle. Isn't that fresh? <laughs> he goes, those are girl jeans. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I guess at like merry-go-round of the mall, like, why did it just say mall like I was from like Brooklyn? At the mall. I was at the mall. At the mall? I was at the mall, Johnny. No, and where the, you know, sometimes the the, the separation between male and female in the clothes section. A little unclear, yeah. Yeah, it was a little unclear that day. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. It's like zippers. Like, you know, Michael Jackson has zippers on his shoes and zippers on it. Thought it was cool. And I was like, "Ah, that's why there's a little more room in the butt. In these pants. Um, but honestly, why don't they make those cool zippers on men's jeans? They should. Boys' jeans. I'd buy them. Yeah. And anyway. And also, what was know. the zipper for, though? Because I had those jeans, too, and I never really unzipped them. Yeah, I don't know. They weren't functional. They weren't. You know. They are were just cool. 
one scene that kills me every time, and I'll, I'll well up just thinking about it because this has become one of my favorite movies, is there's a scene at the beginning of the third act in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where uh, it's kind of like where all the different storylines kind of come together, and they start off playing the song... Um, out of time by the Rolling Stones, but it's the string version, and it starts off like dun 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 and you see Leonardo DiCaprio and his new Italian wife walking through the hallway at LAX in the really kind of mod-looking '60s corridor that everybody from LA has walked through and goes, "Oh yeah, I know that." They do the <laughs> they do the point at the screen like Leonardo DiCaprio does in the meme of him doing the point at the screen, but they start walking and they're and the Stones are singing "Baby or Out of Time." And you see DiCaprio and everything. Okay, all right. He's looking cool. And then they cut to Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, and she's pregnant as, as all get out. And Mick Jagger in the background is singing Baby or Out of Time. And you know, oh, in I real life, she's going to get it. You know, And you understand the power of the Manson murders and just how diabolical and evil they are when you see this woman pregnant and realize that she's going to be murdered in a brutal fashion and so in the background Mick Jagger singing baby you're out of time and you're seeing her then they have the narration Kurt Russell talking about how she's pregnant and feeling melancholy and at that moment um it just like, oh, and then at the same time, they're playing about how the end of the relationship kind of between Rick and Cliff, uh, you know, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio is playing out. And it's just a gut punch. And there's just so much wrapped up in that one music, uh, that one moment in the film. And then also the music is just like perfect. It's like, I don't know. So every time I know when it's about to hit, because I watch the movie all the time, when, once I hear those strings, it also kicks off the last act of the movie when you know um, everything is about to go down. Not to mm-hmm. spoil the film, but uh, so every time I hear that and I hear that song, it just like destroys me. I need to see that again. I saw it on an airplane and really enjoyed it. I saw it how it was designed to be seen on a five <laughs> by four screen on the back of someone's seat. Oh, I'm sure Tarantino would just be so pleased to know that you saw it, like, not in Letterbox edition, like, not in 70 millimeter, you know. No. But yeah, that... that On that, Delta. Yeah. That scene absolutely guts me. So, any other movies that that make you cry? Did you, uh, did you see La La Land? No, I haven't. I really enjoyed it. I know so many people who did not like it, but I really liked it. And uh, there's a I'm not going to give it away, but sort of a near near the end of that. There's a scene that got me. Um, I went to see Annie on Broadway. So it was my we had a friend who was playing Grace Farrell and it was my husband and me in a theater. Sorry, this is not a movie, but it's still it's it's adjacent. Uh, And then just a bunch of kids. We were like the oldest, tallest people watching. (laughs) <laughs> and it started the overture at the beginning and something happened. It was so weird, but suddenly I was just bawling. Oh. And again, like a little bit embarrassed. Like, why am I? Oh my God. Is this the, is this the soundtrack of my childhood? Um, and I turned and my husband was crying too. And I felt really good about that. Oh, okay. So I feel like if I were to rewatch Annie, that might make me cry, but that's just nostalgia. Well, I mean, the music is really moving in there. Yeah. Na, 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 
no. Right. Whenever I hear that, I, I, I get you yeah. Know. And then Les, Les Miserables as well. Mm. That I have a, less of an emotional reaction to, but oh, the French Revolution doesn't stir something in you. Not, not really. Uh, <laughs> I well, a movie that totally guts me every time. And whenever it's on, when it gets to this scene at the end, my wife turns to me and gets a funny grin because she just wants to see me weep. Um, <laughs> it's the the color purple. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that in years, but yes. Yeah, this Steven Spielberg movie. And when Celia and Nettie are reunited, who were separated from each other their whole lives, these sisters, and they come and they start doing patty cake with each other in i guess you call it i guess the heather or whatever and there's all mm-hmm. these plants and and oh god and i just i just absolutely lose it there i'm i'm surprised you didn't mention ai this you know it was actually on my list but uh i i was like okay i'm not gonna get into my i don't want to seem obsessive with two weeks of ai <laughs> talk but yes i do <laughs> weep like a baby at the end of ai and also of course et now I just cry through the whole film. I know what's coming at the end. <laughs> I hear the music a little bit. I'm like, oh. And I remember when I first saw E.T., I was five. And I I don't know how long. I cried for like an hour after seeing mm-hmm. that movie. It was just so, <laughs> so moving. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, it still is. And especially now that I have a kid. And I'm sure it's going to re-get me. I was trying to take him, my son to a screening they had one in LA recently, and he was like, "Is that about an alien?" Nope. Uh, he's scared of aliens, so I was like, "Okay, I gotta wait." I was very, <clears throat> I was frightened when we went to see ET. I think I was too young for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was the same age as you, but I just remember being thinking, like, "What horror film did you just take me to?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, eh. Well, in the first thing when he does the scream and they open the cornfield or whatever, and he's yeah. like, eh. And which I don't know why they have a cornfield in the San Fernando Valley. That I don't, I don't Mm-mm. get. But he's like, yeah, and everybody freaks out. That um, was the scary part for me. Yeah. It's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy so, Allison, on a scale of one through five, one being terrible and five being amazing, how was your week? I did not have a great week this week. I'm going to give it a two. I'm reserving oh. one for like a truly awful week, but both of my kids are sick. Oh. Um, and it's not COVID, but they're just miserable. The It started with the littler one, and I've just never seen him as uncomfortable and just, you know, rolling cough, pouring snot, um, had a bit of a fever. He was supposed to be in a little holiday show at his preschool, and we oh. were looking forward to that so much because the idea of him performing, and he had given us a little preview. There was a song that went like, hot, hot chocolate, hot, 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 hot chocolate. <laughs> we didn't get to see it, though. Um, but something up. About, I think because of the way we've been living during the pandemic, something about any sickness is just, I can't like turn off the part of me that is freaked out about it, even yeah. though I know they're going to be okay. Um, but I just feel like my adrenaline has just kind of been like going nuts since they've both been sick and it's taking a while for them to get over it. Um, it is going through this, like there's something going around. It's a seasonal thing, you know, but yeah. 
I was feeling so good and so Christmassy before, but I've lost the Christmas spirit. I'm like the adult in any Christmas movie of like, I've lost the meaning of Christmas. This could be your Hallmark classic. Like, how do you get it back? But I know. But in reality, here's what happens. You get sick next. Like, once the (laughs) second kid is almost over it, you get it. And then once you're almost done with it, your husband gets it. And so this ends up being a month-long passage of the disease. And then the sad thing is, whoever gets it last, nobody has any sympathy for them. No. Like, the first person to get sick, oh, yeah. And then the fourth person, like, really? Took you that long to get it? Like, It just, and I know I sound like a baby here, but this is my favorite favorite time of year I love the music I love the feeling I love blah 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 and I'm gonna blink and it has gonna have passed us by and it'll just be me sitting in a pile of like 16,000 tissues and four million bottles of children's medicine are you at least a better person than you were at the start of the week I actually think I might be uh and the indicator was today I read on Instagram uh, someone posted a, a, a nice comment with some criticism about an episode of my uh, one of my other shows. Um, I don't know why I, I referred to it as nice. I feel like this person is nice and they are a fan. They just didn't like us. They didn't like how much time we focused on one thing and they wished we'd focused more on something else. And I, I read it and I was like, you know what? That's fine. Like, that's their opinion. And everyone can have different opinions. And I personally am happy with the way that episode went, but I get that they felt differently. And that was a very calm way to uh, take in criticism that in the past I probably would have taken personally. Well, that's good. I'm glad that after um, 20 years in media, you finally (laughs) learned how to handle a negative critique. A very mildly negative critique by someone who still is probably going to listen. Thank you very much. Todd, what about you? How was your week on a scale of one to five, one being terrible, five being amazing? Uh, I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to give it a four. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, that's because I I do... This isn't a plug, but it's I just it's germane to the conversation. But I do a podcast called What's This Dao All About, which is about Taoism, which is, uh, you know... A, a, philosophy you know kind of an eastern philosophy that we talk about it just as kind of a really awesome philosophy and don't get all tied up in the uh um you know we, we try to make it relatable and so uh there was a book called the Tao of Pooh that I read when I was 20 that completely changed my life and turned me on to this Taoist philosophy about basically about living in harmony with the world and the book totally changed my life um and put me on this path where I've studied the philosophy a lot, done a podcast on it, and it's been a big part of my life, and I just love reading about it. And uh, and so the guy who wrote the book, Benjamin Hoff, who's kind of a reclusive guy who lives in Oregon, recently wrote another book for the first time in 30 years about Taoism, and I got to interview him for the show. Oh, and the interview went great, and it was so wonderful just being able to talk to this guy that to me is a total hero. He created something I love, and then to be able to be the person that then gets to share him with the audience that follows the What's This Dow All About, and then, you know, people who are interested in that philosophy in general, I'll be able to share it on Reddit and all this stuff, and uh, I think it'll be up by the end of December at uh, 
What's this DAO.com? It's DAO with a T. That's great. I can't wait to listen to it. Uh, are you a better person than you were at the beginning of the week? You know, we're going to go positive, positive. Yeah, I'm a better, better per- I'm a better person. I got, I'm getting excited now, Allison. I need to, I need to calm down. <laughs> like, hyper puppy here. Yeah, um, I know. I'm a better person because I got my booster shot. Ooh. So I am less infectious of a human being, which I feel like that makes me a better person because uh, I'm less likely to get other people sick and I'm less likely, most importantly, of getting sick myself. Well, congrats. That's great. How? So for me, the second one, I had a real big reaction. Big is too strong. I had, I definitely had a reaction. I, I felt sick for a number of days from the second. And then I expected to have the same reaction to the third, but I didn't have really any reaction. How was your sec- the reaction to your second shot? The second was the most intense Okay. Uh, of all of them. Like that was, I felt bad for like a day and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay, like, and, and the first shot, I felt nothing. I was like, well, this is what all the hubbub's about? This is what everybody's freaking right. out about and demonstrating about? Did your, has your son gotten it and did he have any reaction? Uh, he's still doing his research. As we've talked about, as a five-year-old, he's on YouTube, listening to a lot of Joe Rogan. He just, the thing is, he just wants to hear everybody's perspective on it, right? Yeah. He just doesn't like how in our polarized society, we just shut people down. That's right. Yeah. Um, We haven't yet. We're going to do it when he's on break, just in case he has a reaction and doesn't feel well the next day he doesn't miss school. Right. Yeah. What do the sanctimonious mothers of LA have to say about this? I'm sure that's a fun topic of conversation on that Facebook group that you're part of. Oh, God. I hate them so much. Um, They feel that it is important to get your vaccine, but it is also important to make sure that you only get your vaccine in your neighborhood and that you aren't going to someone else. I mean, it's fair. Like, I'm not saying I disagree with what they're saying. I just don't like how they say it. Um, It's important to not be taking vaccines from people in that neighborhood. So stay in your neighborhood, but also get vaccinated. And just, and, oh, these mothers, I hate them. I I think it's one of these things where it's like, okay, we're going to agree. But you know what? I have to add a little bit of sanctimoniousness to it. Just to just to make sure, so I keep my my status amongst the other sanctimonious mothers of Los Angeles. Yeah, it's a real sanctum sanctimony arms race. I uh, you know okay. Here's one thing I don't really like. I'm obviously very pro people being vaccinated, a hundred percent across the board. But you know Same. what? People don't need to post photos of themselves doing it on social mm-hmm. media, and they don't need to put in their Twitter handle like Allison and then quote two shots of Moderna Rosen. <laughs> you see these people, and it's like, yeah, I do, I do, and it's like, do you want a cookie because you did what was right? Yeah, you know, I agree with you. However, I'm more, I'm less judgmental of them. Be, I, because I agree with it, uh, you know, than people who are like proudly anti-vax. They, those people just, my blood boils. Correct. They, I'd imagine somebody that's taking a contrarian stance like that uh, is even more happy when they see that the people who are doing the right thing are being sanctimonious about it. Yes. I think it just fuels, you know, people 
fighting back against that stuff. Anyway, this, anyway. Uh, it, uh, one last thing. The Sanctimonious Moms of L.A., the Facebook group that I'm a member of, that's not their real name, uh, they make me want to take a contrarian stance, and I think generally I agree with most of them. Right. All right, Allison, can you send us off on something positive and funny? I sure can. A story about death. All right. (laughs) Uh, So this is a story about a son who celebrates his mother uh, in a hilarious obituary. And this is by Todd Perry, the king of good news. And it ran on Friday. So a woman named Renee Corrin of El Paso, Texas, she died on Saturday. And her son Andy memorialized her in a pretty amazing obituary, which has now gone viral. Andy refers to himself as her, quote, favorite son, the gay one who writes caddy obituaries in his spare time. And the obituary opens with, quote, a plus side, uh, excuse me, a plus size Jewish lady redneck died in El Paso on Saturday. By the uh, way, that sounds it- like the greatest country song of all time. <laughs> it really does. A plus size Jewish redneck, you know, like a, a good kinky Friedman tune, you know. Or Wheeler Walker. Do you know him? Oh, yes. Yes, off-color country songs that are musically hilarious. I mean, musically, like, really solid, but the lyrics are hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay, so Andy said that his mother lied a lot. She didn't cook. She didn't clean. And she was lousy with money. Uh, he said, quote, a more disrespectful, trash-reading, talking, and watching woman in North Carolina, Florida, or Texas was not to be found. And then, and this part's uh, also equally amazing, he says that his mother had an affair with Larry King (laughs) in her 60s. No, sorry, in the 60s. Uh, But this has not been independently verified. And he goes on to say that what she was great at was dyeing her red roots, weekly manicures, dirty jokes, pure fishing, rolling joints, rolling joints, and buying dirty magazines. Um... And if anyone is hoping to be uh, looked after in her estate, they should just keep looking because, quote, she spent it all, folks. She left me nothing but these lousy memories, which I and my family of five brothers and sisters-in-law, nephews, friends, nieces, neighbors, ex-boyfriends, Larry King's children, who I guess I might be one of, the total strangers who all to a person loved and will cherish her forever. Please think of the brightly frocked, frivolous, funny, and smart Jewish redhead who is about to grift you tell you a filthy joke and for larry king's sake laugh bye mommy we loved you to bits wow that is touching that's so sweet it's like funny and sweet doesn't reading that make you think that you have to live a life where you earn a an obituary that good yeah i if i die oh and we've discussed this the chances of me dying before my husband are slim because an anvil is going to fall on his head and he doesn't know when and i don't know I don't know when either, but if I were to die before him, you know what? It, it, here's what here's what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to write my own bit because I don't trust him <laughs> to like not write something that's going to make me go, "Ugh, why did you put that? Why? What's he going to write that's going to make you? I don't know. I don't nothing specific. I just feel like he'll like emphasize the wrong things and, you know, and try to be funny. And I'll be like, "Ugh, that makes me come off poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about my kids, though. I don't know what they would do. She made me take Motrin. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it, you know, I, th- I think it says something to think about when you think about who would you want to write your obituary. 
Like that's a very specific, important person in your life. It's someone that right. knows you and w- would would be able to encapsulate you perfectly. Also, because you were your genuine self around them. Right. Right. Like everybody right. gets a certain percentage of the full Allison. Right. Yeah. And no. 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 Everyone gets. Right. Everyone gets a, a small percentage of the real Allison. No one gets the full real Allison. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody gets the Allison they deserve. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. What's, here's, here's a good one. What's the one thing, let's say your husband does write your obituary. Now, in this oh. obituary we were just talking about, they talked about this woman's penchant for lying, uh, being into trashy things. She's terrible with money. Right. What, what's the one thing that your husband could write about you that people who listen to your show, that friends of yours would find out about, that family would find out about? What's the one thing he could write in the obituary that would just mortify you for everybody to know about you? Oh, oh that's a good one. It's a really good one. Take your time. I mean, you're asking me to like make myself look really unflattering here. True. True, but you're pretty good at that. Like, you'll always say, okay, "Oh fine. my god, oh my god, I'm going to seem like a terrible person," but and 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 then you say it, right? Sometimes forgets to flush the toilet. <laughs> How often is sometimes? Not that often. Okay. But occasionally, I will forget, and I know that he's not thrilled. And then I'm just like, sorry, <laughs> I gave you two children. Give me a break. <laughs> well, okay, what about what about if you're... Yeah, and please, because I feel like I made myself look terrible on the show in an honest fashion. I, feel, I made myself look terrible on Alison Rosen's new best friend this past week. Um, but I kept pointing out, like, the my willingness to come off terrible should count for something. I don't know if it does. So... Uh, yet again, I know everyone was just repulsed, but appreciate that I'm willing to be that honest. What about you? What could your wife say that would make everyone go, wow, didn't know that? Well, what I didn't, I wouldn't want them to know is that I'm like a very quiet, introverted person normally. Oh, you just masquerade as an extrovert? And yeah, like if I go to a party, I'm really talkative. I do this thing where I talk out loud, but around the house, I'm just kind of this quiet guy who shuffles around the house not trying to bother anybody and then huh. wakes up and is like that but i i don't know maybe yes that i'm a boring quiet person that just wants to sit and piddle and work on his stuff and, and be left alone and is that the real is that the real you maybe uh, maybe so <laughs> uh, yeah i i think so and so and but then i'm an extroverted person when i'm around people and everything and actually i I find it difficult sometimes to be married because I feel like I have to be on all the time mm-hmm. and I don't, and it's kind of exhausting, you know, when you just want to be kind of that weird, quiet person. And I think most of my friends wouldn't think that I'm that way, but I think that's, that's kind of how I am. Yeah. But that you know is what? cool. That- Your toilet one is much better, but my, my fear is people like kind of realizing that. Um, and I don't know why, um, uh, but if I were your therapist, I would say, why are you worried about them finding that out? What do you think that they'll then think of you? I think they won't like me. You think they only like you if you're on? Yes. Are you sure that's true? I don't know. That's a thing. That's that'll, why I don't want anybody to- be $250. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I'd like to thank everybody. Ugh, now I feel. <laughs> what? I mean, the porn talk at the beginning of the show was an emotionally enough to get through. <laughs> and then I'm like having to reveal my inner self. Um, all that being said, even though next week is a holiday, um, we will be back with the show next Saturday and the Saturday after that, which I believe is Christmas and New Year's. So here's nice. the cool thing. When you're cleaning up all the crap off your floor and all the wrapping paper and everything, and you're having a mimosa on Christmas, you could throw us on and we're going to have a show there. And also when you're hungover the next day and you're laying in bed and you want some hopefully uplifting content for you to listen to as you uh, go into the new year, you can listen to our show. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be breaking down the top, the most popular, the most read stories that Upworthy has put out for the last year. And I think it's going to be really fun because we're going to talk about the stuff that people are seriously interested in. So that's what's going to happen the next two weeks. We will be around. And like, honestly, what a wonderful way to start 2022 with oh, us yeah. in your ears. Upworthy Weekly was produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at UpworthyWeekly at Upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.